Welcome to NoSpinHomilies.com. I invite you to join me to reflect upon the homilies of Father Dan. Father Dan will challenge us to open our heart, mind, and soul to the Word of God. Father Dan will draw upon sacred scripture along with art, literature, and the lives of the saints to help us grow in our love and knowledge of the scripture. In doing so, we can become the living Word of God in this world. Now it is my pleasure to present to you No Spin Homilies. Today, our church around the world celebrates the solemnity of Jesus' ascension into heaven. And how appropriate, the first reading should come from the beginning of Acts of the Apostles, chapter 1, verse 1. The scripture passage here gives us a wonderful synopsis of the ascension. Now, it's important for us to note the author of Acts of the Apostles is the same author of the Gospel of Luke. Now, scholars would argue that we have to read both works as one novel in order to understand Christianity. The first part of the novel is the Gospel of Luke, which deals exclusively about Jesus, his life, his preaching, teaching, miracles, his ministry, his death and resurrection. The second part of the novel is Acts of the Apostles, which deals with the life of the church. Now notice how Acts of the Apostles begins by Luke, the author. It appears that he's writing to a person named Theophilus. Listen now. In the first book, Theophilus, I dealt with all that Jesus did and taught until the day he was taken up, after giving instruction through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he has chosen. Now, when he says or refers to as the first book, he's referring to the Gospel of Luke, which taught about Jesus' whole mission as well as the events that surrounded his death and resurrection. Therefore, we might conclude that Theophilus might be a person whom the letter of Acts has been written for. Now, we have to realize it wasn't uncommon for affluent benefactors to financially sponsor the apostles and the disciples in the early church. This happened so that the apostles wouldn't be preoccupied with worries about earning money, but instead could devote all of their time and attention to evangelization. And yet Luke is a physician, and he's a very wise and articulate narrator. And so Luke intentionally uses that word Theophilus. Now that's a Greek word, and translated into English means beloved of God. And so in doing so, Luke now universalizes the identity and allows every reader to be the person that Acts of the Apostles is specifically addressed or written to. Acts isn't necessarily addressed to any one person as it is addressed to each and every one of us. Now reread the beginning with the translation. In the first book, Beloved of God, I dealt with all that Jesus did and taught. And so Acts is specifically written for each and every one of us. Because each and every one of us are lovers of God. We are the beloved of God. And so, Acts of the Apostles immediately reaches out and grabs our attention. Next in the story, it says, He, being Jesus, presented himself alive to them, being the apostles, by many proofs, after he had suffered, appearing to them during forty days, and speaking about the kingdom of God. 
Well, now Luke essentially is addressing the miracle of Jesus' resurrection and how the resurrection is substantiated in many different ways. First, the tomb was found empty. Next, Jesus appears to the apostles despite the locked doors. Next, he invites Thomas to examine his wounds, and Thomas makes the great statement of faith, My Lord and my God. Then, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it says Jesus appeared to 500 people simultaneously. Finally, and probably the greatest proof, Jesus appears to the church's fiercest adversary, Saul of Tarsus, and transforms him to St. Paul, the greatest evangelizer and the defender of our church. And so you can't refute that evidence. And so it is true. Jesus rose from the dead. Now, next it says, Jesus appeared to the apostles during 40 days after his resurrection. Now, why this period of 40 days? Well, it's a basic biblical truth. Numbers in sacred scripture always have sacred symbolism attached to them. In this case, it's a period of preparation before sent on mission. I'll give you some examples of this. Moses, after killing an Egyptian official, flees into the desert and spends many years there as a shepherd before he finally encounters God on top of Mount Sinai and then is sent on mission to lead the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt into the Promised Land. Elijah, he walks 40 days and 40 nights to get to Mount Sinai, and when he gets to Mount Sinai, he encounters God, the Lord. Jesus, he spends 40 days and 40 nights in the desert, and he battles the devil and temptation before he begins his ministry. Or even St. Paul. St. Paul, on that road to Damascus, he meets or encounters the last person he ever thought he would meet, Jesus Christ himself, and changes his life forever. After that event, Paul immediately fled into the Arabian desert and spent three years there before he finally made his way up to Jerusalem to confer with the apostles. Now, during this period of 40 days after Jesus' resurrection, it was a time of final preparation for the apostles before they are sent out on mission to establish our church in the world. Well, we continue that same tradition. You know, when it comes to, for example, the sacraments, we require people for a period of preparation so they can understand and appreciate the gifts that they are about to receive in the sacraments. I'll give you some examples. Parents, when they come with a child that was just born for baptism, well, we ask them to undergo a baptismal prep class in order for them to learn about their duties and the responsibilities of bringing that child up in the practice of our faith in the church. Second graders, they undergo a period of preparation in order to receive their first Holy Communion as well as their first reconciliation. Our high school kids, we ask them to take a few years in order to prepare to receive the great sacrament of confirmation. Or an engaged couple, we ask them to come into the church four to six months prior to the wedding day in order for them to prepare, not just for the wedding itself, but for a life together. Well, we do that so that these periods of preparation help those people to fathom the magnitude of the sacraments and how the sacraments awaken in us our response to Christ in our life. 
Next in the story, the apostles ask Jesus this very interesting and somewhat bizarre question. It says, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Well, remember, the apostles thought Jesus was the new Messiah, that he would usher in a new kingdom or new government, and they wanted to know where they were going to be in the pecking order. Now, notice what Jesus tells them. He says to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has established by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus tells the apostles that they, yes, will receive the Holy Spirit, and only through the Holy Spirit will they accomplish the work of establishing the church in this world. Finally, Jesus ascends into heaven. Now, this is vital. If there's one thing that we must take with us from this great feast of the Ascension is how intimately it links Christmas and Easter together. It links Jesus' birth as well as his death and resurrection intimately together. Jesus, when he was born into this world, he didn't leave his divinity behind in heaven. No, he was born like you and I. He was born with a human nature, but also with his divine nature, fully intact. When Jesus died on the cross and then rose from the dead, he didn't leave his human nature behind in the tomb. No, when he rose from the dead, he rose with his divinity, as well as humanity, fully intact. Well, now he ascends back into heaven with his divine nature and human nature together. Now our human nature resides in heaven through Jesus Christ. One could say heaven now is adopted or accommodated itself so as to receive our humanity. See, that's why this celebration is as much a celebration for Christ as it is for each and every one of us. Jesus, through his ascension, has carved out a pathway for us that leads to heaven, a path that never existed before. It's a path that our ancestors, our grandparents, our parents have already walked before us. And it's a path that we hope and we pray someday we will walk ourselves. And so this is why we practice our faith. We go to Mass every week. We pray every day. We engage a lifestyle of stewardship because we recognize that we want to follow on that pathway that Jesus has created for each and every one of us through this feast of his ascension. Friends, our hopes and our dreams have now become a reality because Jesus' ascension into heaven. And that is something worth rejoicing in. May the grace and the peace of Jesus Christ rest upon you always.